Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, it's Candace and Kayla and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we're in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. But that's okay. It is okay. It is absolutely okay. Today, we are sitting down with two fascinating beings. The first, Paul Holes, recently retired as a cold case investigator after spending more than 27 years working for the sheriff and district attorney's offices. Paul has an extensive experience applying investigative, behavioral, and forensic techniques in notable cases such as Zodiac, Golden State Killer, Lacey Peterson, and J.C. Dugard. As an FBI task force officer, he teamed with FBI personnel, recently completed a 24-year pursuit by leading a small team using innovative technology that identified Joseph D'Angelo as the main suspect in the case of the Golden State Killer, the most prolific and cunning serial predator in American history. We're also joined by Billy Jensen. He's a true crime journalist focused squarely on unsolved murders and missing persons. But after 17 years of writing hundreds of stories 
stories with no endings. He was fed up and decided to try and solve murders himself using radical social media techniques. And it worked. They both have a podcast called Jensen and Holes, The Murder Squad. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Paul Holes and Billy Jensen. All right. And we are here with Paul Holes and Billy Jensen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I just want to jump right in with the question I'm sure you guys get every single day. Um, Why are we so obsessed with true crime, especially as women? Like, I know that men are also obsessed, but women in particular are obsessed with true crime. I mean, there's a crime con. Yes. That's insane. And I think I I have been asked this a lot and I have thought about this a lot. And it very much is. I mean, if you take a look at our listenership, it probably is 90 percent female. It's very much, you know, females are so much more in tune with the human condition and trying to figure things out. Guys are pretty dopey when it comes down to it. And they're just sort of like. You know, they don't, you know, we, we were um, in in the most recent episode, we were talking about this letter that we were, we didn't know if a girl or a boy wrote it because they were in high school or, or, or college. And it was obvious that a woman wrote it because of all the details that, that she provided. Um, and it was just, I think women are so much more attuned to that kind of thing. And yes, that's always going to be a generalization. And they're more attuned to, you know, trying to create some sort of order out of chaos, which is what true crime ultimately, uh, I think that's the that's the root of it, uh, at least for me, at least. It's just bad things happen, but hopefully there'll be a, a good, you know, a good resolution at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, and and, and I know in my experience, when you take a look at the cases that seem to be popular within the true crime space. You know, during the course of my law enforcement career, I went out on more gangbang homicides than anything else. But how many podcasts, how many shows focus in on that type of story? I think because of the types of crimes that true crime focuses in on, oftentimes women are the victims. And of course, they're wanting to pay attention to, well, what happened to that person? And how can I avoid that happening to me? And then like Billy's saying is, I think women do have that emotional connection. You know, they have the emotional connection, the empathy to what happened to that victim, but they also can extrapolate that towards their own lives or somebody else that they know. And I know for me, I mean, I got into true crime as a young kid. You know, I was watching the TV show Quincy and then I made a career out of it. And so it's just it's natural. You know, it's one of those things where this is just this is part of human nature that we deal with and we want to try to prevent it from happening. But when it does happen, well, what is the story behind it? And what 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 ultimately caused it and how can we avoid this happening to somebody we love? And, you know, so many of us are obsessed with it, but you guys take it a step further and make it your career. You are the ones who live the real life movies. And to us, it seems a bit fantastical and so interesting and just kind of like your day to day life is so it's like a real movie. What took you from being the kind of people that watched it as a TV show or read it and then began to live it? What made you make that choice as a career? I learned very early on that I didn't, you know, I was always, um, you know, a true crime person, but I learned very early on in my journalistic career that I didn't want to write 
about stories that were solved. I felt like I was, it felt very sort of exploitative when I was, I remember going out on a, a story for the New York Post and it just, it, I, I hated it. So mm. I said, I, I just want to do stuff that's unsolved. And that meant that I couldn't be, you can't be a reporter then and just say, I'd only do unsolved. So I had to become an editor and, and run the newspapers and magazines, but then do the stuff on the side. And, you know, for 17 years, I wrote stories with no endings and it, and it it you know it doesn't matter how great of a writer that you are when you're writing a story with no ending um it's a it's it's a bummer and not to mention the fact that you're constantly talking to victims families and trying to get them help and i just got completely fed up with it i saw a video on uh youtube about a guy getting attacked in the street and he gets attacked and then a guy punches him and then a a cab actually drives over his body and kills him and there was tremendous video it was great looking video and i was like why hasn't anybody caught him and i just decided right then and there I'm going to I'm going to find out who this guy is myself and using social media and a bunch of different things I was able to do that and that's how I veered off into this part of my career. Yeah yeah and you know I know for me um uh, growing up I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had an aptitude for science and I pursued, you know, I thought I was going to go to med school. Um and in part it was because I had seen the TV show Quincy who was a forensic pathologist. And I thought, "Oh, I'm going to become a Quincy." Yeah, and and thank God I didn't because I couldn't imagine having a career where all I'm doing is standing in a morgue cutting on bodies day in and day out for <laughs> years. Um but then I found the you know the uh, the field related to forensic science uh, criminalistics out in California and finding out oh these are people who get out to go out to crime scenes and they get to do the science and work with investigators and I was super excited about that but once I started doing the science I started recognizing that well I'm I'm removed from the cases I'm in the lab and I liked the crime scene aspect. I liked being out there in the middle of the night and dealing with the victims and dealing with the physical evidence and talking to the investigators and watching the witnesses come up to the crime scene tape saying, hey, I saw something. And then I started recognizing in myself, oh, I'm much more investigatively focused than lab focused. Mm -hmm. And I ended up gearing towards that. And, and, and like Billy, this is, you know, Billy and I are the odd couple in, in many ways, but we're very similar in, in how we look at cases, because for me, it was the unsolved case. It was the cold case uh, that caught my attention. Why is that case unsolved? And, you know, I think in many ways, there's there's an ego in me going, well, the, the previous people couldn't solve it, but I can solve it. And so that's what I started doing. And I quickly found out that uh, the serial predator and the behaviors that the serial predator did was was my fascination. And so that's that was that became my skill set. You know, I started digging into that in 1994. And, and the very first case I dug into was the East Area Rapist, who later became known as the Golden State Killer. But then over the course of, uh, you know, 25 years, I focused in on cases in which women and children were victims. And most most of those cases are predatory type cases. And so I kind of developed my own niche. And, and so that's where Billy and I are very similar. He recognized his skill sets in, these, uh, in the unsolved space. And so did I. And now here you go. You know, we've got the murder squad. <laughs> and Billy and I come at it from our own perspectives. Well, I can imagine that there's a period in time, like pre-internet, 
pre-cell phones, you know, pre-social media, where it really was just up to law enforcement, anyone who was working the case. You know, it would be a very difficult job to try to be a civilian and trying to like crack a cold case. Whereas now there are full chat rooms and groups and people who are able to dedicate all their working hours outside of their day-to-day jobs to cracking cold cases. Do you feel like this has been a help, like a huge help um, in order to solve cold cases or has it now kind of made it really noisy? I mean, obviously in certain cases we've seen it help um, in the long run, but how is it, how have you guys seen that kind of transpire over the last decade or so? You know, I think it definitely has helped anytime that you can you can shine more light on cases. Listen, since 1980, there's 230 on 30,000 unsolved murders. Okay. In America, uh, the internet was around, you know, between 1980 and 1990. The only time you would ever hear about these cold cases is if they were featured on a local television station, a local newspaper, and then that was it. Uh, you didn't have this. So, so, you know, the idea that podcasts are taking cases that nobody's ever heard about, it, it, that's always going to, going to help it's going to anytime that you can take a story out of the darkness and put into light um it's going to help you know one of the things that has hurt though is that the resources of you know to get it from the chat room into the uh the tv station and the newspaper those resources are dwindling because we have a lot less people in the newsrooms than we had 10 years ago Mm. so you know so um we you know podcasts are kind of picking up that uh that slack a little bit and so is social media. People, you know, create social media pages for specific cases or for overall cases or whatever. And um, but it's there's less of a chance now that if you put somebody like the way America's Most Wanted was back in the day, mm. pre-internet, when everybody was watching it. And if you put your put a guy up there that you were looking for, you know, there was odds are people were going to find it. Media's gotten so fragmented now, and there's so few reporters out there now that are actually getting paid a living wage that it's it's tough. So these other resources have to kind of pick it up. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's no question that I think having the public attention on these uh, you know unsolved cases is is huge. Where law enforcement needs to catch up, and I've experienced this firsthand, is now with the the online resources and those people that are deciding that they're going to become, you know, these online sleuths, is that the volume of information coming into law enforcement can be overwhelming. And law enforcement yeah. needs to adapt to that. Uh, because what typically happens is, is that if if somebody emails into the agency or calls in and says, I'm talking about Zodiac, right? Okay, well, so-and-so is assigned Zodiac. So that detective ends up fielding all this information that's coming in. And this is a person that gets very quickly overwhelmed because when you get 30 tips a day, and that's what I was experiencing on Golden State Killer, it's like, well, where do I start with that? I have no way to filter that. I will spend my entire day just working all these phone tips. And then the next day, I'm going to have new tips coming in. So that's something where law enforcement needs to catch up with the modern day. But Having that public attention, you know, that's that's where law enforcement has to get better, both at releasing pertinent information to help solve the case. So the public can go, yeah, somebody out there goes, I know something or I have a special skill set. I can contribute to this case. Uh, 
And law enforcement just does a poor job at that at this point in time. You know, public agencies are typically, you know, we're, we're a good decade behind technology wise, as well as culturally and, and, and socially. It's just the nature of the business that we're in. But we will get there. Law yeah, I can't tell you there. how many times like, you know, there were certain law enforcement agencies that w- weren't able to get on social media five years ago. Uh, they get the worst computers, you know, which is that sort of thing. And when you look at, you know, police budgets and things, it's I always say all these journalists that are out of work hire them at the police departments to be taking in these tips because they're very good at it. They've been doing it all of their lives, taking in tips, and then they can separate the wheat from the chaff and, um, and uh, you know, you could utilize the skill sets of each person in there. You know, we just have a long way to go in terms of how we can potentially, you know, solve a lot of these cases. Right. With so many unsolved cases still out there, how do you guys choose what cases to focus your episodes on? It's 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 difficult because there are so many and we get probably 10 a day. Uh, I get personally, I probably get five a day. I think Murder Squad gets 10 to 15 a day. Most of those are from listeners. But, you know, probably once a day, we'll get one from a family member saying, you know, my son was shot. Please help. And you wish you could do all of those. And I, I was just thinking about this last night. The biggest thing that I hate about about, you know, uh, a, a podcast blowing up or having a book and this and that is just that th- you 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 can get, I, I don't have time to do everything, you know, and I really wish I did. And I really wish there was more organizations that could do it uh, because there are just so many people out there looking for answers. When you think about if there's, if there's that many unsolved murders, 15,000 every year, uh, 230,000 since 1980, you know, there's a lot of people that are out there looking for answers and that, that doesn't even count, uh, the missing persons that are out there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we pick them based on whether we think, um, there is a, uh, a probability that there's something out there that there might be a clue in order to, that somebody can latch onto, uh, that could push, you know, we're, yeah, we're always going to be looking for a solve, but we, we at least want to push the investigation forward somehow, some way, even if it's a little building block onto the next one. That's what we want to do. So those are the ones that we look for. Do you focus mainly on serial killers? Because, Paul, I know that's what you said your specialty was as well. Well, for Murder Squad, no. You know, we 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 do a a quite a variety of different types of cases. You know, but typically there is some unsolved aspect of the case that we we highlight, uh, in which we we you know give the assignments to our listeners. Hey, here's here's the 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 summary of this case, and then hey, listeners, you know this is what we think coming from our perspective is what law enforcement could use, whether it's to identify the offender or like, you know, we've done several cases in which we've had killers that are photographers. And now there's there's these photographs of potential victims. Can you identify the victim? We know who the killer is. Is this person a victim or is this somebody who just happened to be photographed by the person? So it's it's really just giving the the uh, the online community uh, a focus, you know, coming from our perspective. And I think that's been very beneficial, you know, coming coming out of law enforcement and dealing with the online sluice when there is no control. That's where you're getting, you know, pulled in so many different directions because these people are going their their own way. But Billy and I can take a look at a case and working with Polly, we can kind of say, okay, this is 
This is sort of the focus on which this case needs from our listeners. And that's that's where the the weekly assignments that that typically Billy is reading, you know, goes out to our listeners. And so we we try to focus this this crowdsource aspect. And I think it's it's proven to be very beneficial doing that. Yeah. You know, like Paul was talking about, we did a four part season opener called Can I Take Your Picture? And it's about the serial killers that use the ruse of being a photographer in order to kill their victims. And one of them was Rodney Alcala, who is the dating game killer. Uh, Billy Bradford was another one. Joe Nasa was another one. And there was these these gentlemen that when you arrest them and go through all their stuff, you find tons and tons of photographs. They put those out and they try to figure out who they are. Some of them are actually women that have been murdered, that they haven't been able to find out who they murdered. And they figured out this guy murdered him. But then there's other victims that are out there. Even with Billy Bradford, they found so many of the photos. They finally released them. Uh, people took a look and they put up a, uh, you know, 55 pictures. Sure enough, one of the women on the pictures was actually murdered and was mm -hmm. definitely murdered by Bradford. There was 17 that we didn't know who they were. We were able to identify a couple of them and just move the move the investigation forward. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just any, anything that, that can lighten the load a little bit. We, we identified some of them in, in Alcala's pictures as well. And, um, you know, these people were taking pictures not only in Southern California, but everywhere. And it was, it's a sort of, that's, that's just an example of, seeing a case and thinking, all right, well, if there's, if we could find this one clue or if we knew this one thing, what would be, we be able to do with it? And it's even things like if it's DNA and we've offered to, if, if people have DNA from a murder scene, uh, that they, uh, can't afford to process, you know, we just, this morning, we just gave about $2,500 to the Brianna Maitland case for them to run DNA, uh, based around that case. And she's a woman that went missing up in new England in the mountains of new England. And it's a pretty famous case. And they were stuck. They were trying to do crowdfunding, but they were stuck at 2,500. And we, we did a story on it. We said, you know what, we'll make up the difference and let's go do it. But you know, now we're going to be watching you like a hawk and you better go do it. Yeah, I just want, kind of want to touch upon what, you know, like what Billy was talking about with the can I take take a picture? I mean, both I mean, Candace and Kayla, you both are in the Hollywood scene. You guys have had headshots done. You know, you've probably have met with, you know, different photographers, different video videographers. You could see where somebody, a predator could pose in this environment. And they've got all these beautiful women that are just voluntarily Oh, you want to go out in the desert and take a really cool shot out there, right? And now you're isolated. So I think you guys can most certainly empathize with those victims because here they were, they were just pursuing their life dreams and a predator took advantage of that. Uh, yeah, I think that what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation of um, wanting to create order in, in chaos, that I think I... I can find myself drawn to true crime in ways because it makes me feel like I can prevent it from happening. Exactly like what you said. Like I remember when my last pregnancy, um, it was a huge anniversary for the Jean Benet murder. And I became obsessed. I watched wow. everything. I went deep dives, you know, looking at photos that even now I would feel uncomfortable looking at from the crime scene. And I was just so confused by why I was doing this. I was like very pregnant, pregnant with a little girl. And here I am 
just cannot take my eyes away from this horrifying case. It's almost the equivalent of nesting. You know, uh, you're for, you're you're almost fortifying in your head uh, your your castle. You know, uh, you're you're trying to figure out any 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 ways and any bad things that could happen, and mm-hmm. that is the you know we know that the John Benet case is one of the ultimate tragic locked door mysteries that that we have in true crime and uh and everybody tries to make sense of it and it and that that i can understand that that makes sense uh, of a mother to be or mothers in general wanting to try and figure out that case so um because you know you have a, a baby on the way or a baby in the house yeah yeah and and kind of on along those lines but maybe taking a 180 degree spin on it is you know my my wife was working in the field responding out to crime scenes and saw some horrific things and then she had her first child and she's going i can't do that i can't Mm -hmm. look at that anymore you know and here i have i have four kids And, you know, I'm still to this day reviewing cases in which kids have been killed. And it's it becomes different when you become when you when you have that personal life experience that now that empathy comes in. You're a mom. You know what it would mean to lose your child. And now you're seeing a case or hearing about a case in which a mom has lost their child. Um, You know, that's where. even at CrimeCon, you know, it's it's we we emphasize this is real life and these are real victims and these are real emotions and real people lost their lives or lost their loved ones. And and that's what we want to continue to push is even though people gravitate towards this to 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 hear about it and hear the stories, there's real people behind those stories and we can't mm-hmm. ever forget that. And Paul and Billy, how do you guys process and compartmentalize your work? Because you do have to turn it off at some point, or does it just constantly stay in your head and ideas come? Is there Are there moments where you can just do something as simple as cook and not think about these details of, of the cases? I don't cook. No, I, um, <laughs> I just, I, you know what? I, I try to do things that are, uh, you know, take my mind off of it. It was it was fun to be able to go to Universal Studios, which is right around the corner from me, and go to Hogwarts and lose myself there for two hours. Can't do that right now. Or go to Disney or, or you know, um, smoke a joint and, and look at some Viewmaster reels. You know, just anything that's <laughs> like that. And and then, you know, exercising and binging Shit's Creek. And, you know, it's just, it's, you know, things... I'm able to get out of it, Um to a certain extent, unless I'm like deep into a project, I'm writing my second book now. And I'm also working on this long Island serial killer case. So it's just like, you know, this is really the first time, uh, the first year in my entire career that I've done true crime really, really, um, for my day job and my night job. Uh, and Mm -hmm. it's, I've always had to be a digital executive or I had to be a newspaper, uh, editor and, and, or I ran a bunch of different newspaper websites, but this is the first time. So I can't really get, uh, away from it, but I can turn it off every now and again with some silliness. And that's usually Mm. what I try to do. Or I, or I can play hockey, which is another thing I can't do right now. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. You know, I know for me, um, it's, it's ever present, you know, and that's, that's where, you know, the problem comes in, you know, that's where, you know, you go and and you maybe drink a little bit too much. Um, 
try to just relax in a way to where it's not just constantly there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I probably could use, you know, more hobbies now that I'm, you know, in this uh, beautiful state of Colorado, I'm getting out into nature more and, and that helps. Um, but, you know, it's, it's something that in, in some ways you, you, I know for me, uh, and and I, I'm in the process of, of getting a book written and talking to my author and trying to expose my inner thoughts, you know, it's almost like a therapy session. Uh, you know, for me, I do what I'm good at. And I constantly, when I find that I'm not working cases, that there's something missing in my life. And so I find that I'm constantly going back into that space uh, for everything that it entails but there is a there 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 is a a weird enjoyment you know it's 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 one of those things it's like for me if you if you sit down i used to when i would read novels i mean i would be tunnel visioned and there'd be that euphoria of of learning the story when I get involved in a case, it's tunnel visioned, and there's that euphoria of learning the details of the case. So there is an adrenaline rush associated with it, but it comes it comes with consequences, you know. And that's where even at this age, I'm starting to recognize there there is a life, there's a career of consequences that I'm now dealing with, and I just have to kind of get through it. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure that I figured out how to get through it, but I'm just doing the best I can. You know, and part of it is, you know, what, what Billy and I are doing. It's keeping me engaged, you know, and so that's that's healthy. That's cathartic in some ways. Well, there are a lot of hard days that you guys have, but there are also some really, um, I'm sure, like gratifying days the Golden State Killer was caught this year in jail, prison forever. On days like that, how does it feel? What are all the emotions? Because I'm sure there's a gambit of them. Yeah, you, well, you know, it's, I mean, you bring up, like, Golden State Killer is a is a different beast entirely as, as a case for me. Um, because there's no question the fact that D'Angelo was identified and caught and now he is sentenced, you know, that that is a positive um, for me. I found going through, you know, be, I was I was at, you know, both the plea hearing as well as the sentencing that um, it wasn't celebratory. It was very different, a very different space than what I was expecting. Um, you know, and, and, and maybe to compare and contrast, I was pointing out, you know, I've got, you know, the image of, you know, the D'Angelo team, the, the genealogy team that, that, that caught D'Angelo on one side of me. And then I've got this NorCal rapist courtroom sketches. I, you know, NorCal rapist, Roy Waller being caught. It's a case I, I got involved with in 1996. There is a celebratory aspect to that. But for whatever reason, Golden State Killer and D'Angelo, and I think it's because I got so close to so many of the victims, and then I saw firsthand that even though he's been identified, he's caught, he's never going to get out again, these victims are still struggling, that it was very... It was a very subdued experience for me. And 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 even though it was like, okay, yeah, he's not going to get out, it's sort of like, well, you know what? Even at this point in time, and this guy has been sentenced to the rest of his life in prison, 
nobody has won. You know, mm-hmm. everybody loses yeah. in this type of situation. And and it's just sort of, huh, you know, it, it's not that raw, raw, uh, you know, that you would think. We had the raw, raw. You know, I was I was at SAC homicide when D'Angelo was taken in custody and we're listening on the radio. And, you know, when hearing the the commander of the arrest team say, su- you know, the subject in custody, we're all, you know, hi- you know, high fiving and it's rah, rah. That was a celebration. And then it's that experience of seeing the echoes and the ramifications of what this guy did over the course of decades that it's just like, uh, you know, it's it's not what I thought it would be. Uh, and it's just, you know, Hopefully we have other cases that, yeah. that we can celebrate about. No, definitely. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, having done it for 17 years, I was working on that one case and, and uh, with um, Mr. Gaines, Marcus Gaines, in, uh, who, was, who was struck and, and attacked in Chicago. When I got the phone call from his sister that she said, you know, because I was able to identify him. Then we were trying to track him down. I was begging the police. I said he was in Minnesota. This guy's in Minnesota. You got to go get him. They finally did get him after six months. And there was an elation there. There was a fist pump there when she called up and she said, we got him. And then it just, I can't tell you what happened. It just all completely just wiped away. And then then it just became sadness because it's almost like you want to tell, you want to share the story with the victim and be like how we did it. And and it's just, it, it, it became a very kind of empty feeling and it just became of, all right, well, you know, there's so many, so much more to do. GSK on the, it was just such a surreal feeling. I mean, obviously Paul knew what was going on with me. You know, we had just helped put, uh, put out the book, Michelle McNamara's book, I'll be gone in the dark. We had just had a, a book event with myself and Gillian Flynn, who wrote the, um, uh, the forward and Patton Oswald, her husband and Paul Haynes, her researcher. We were all in the same room for the first time together. We were in Chicago, her hometown. And then to, to find out that news that night, uh, was, and it was also the first night that we were filming the HBO doc was just such an incredibly surreal moment. And I, and the whole week was surreal to be honest with you. And the next, the next day I remember being at the airport with Pat and we were flying back to New York and he was just like, if, if I wake up in an hour and I'm still in the hotel and this was all a dream, I'm going to be really pissed off because that's mm-hmm. really what it felt like. I've never felt anything like that before that, that just surreal moment, because I really did feel like I was in a dream. Well, the synergy of it all, too, happening simultaneously. The day, Crazy. first day you're shooting the documentary, all of that. It's almost like it was just meant to be as a tribute to Michelle as well. It was it was crazy. There was so much more that happened that night that I wish that they would have, you know, I know that with the you know editing and everything, they couldn't sew it, but there'd be an amazing behind the scenes type of thing about mm-hmm. what was going on that night and uh, and everything. And just trying to figure, I write about it in my book too, just like trying to figure out uh, who this guy is and doing newspapers.com. And once, once I saw saw the newspapers.com article about him being arrested for as a cop stealing a, a dog repellent and a hammer it was like this is this is the guy you know and just coming sort of face to face with him it was just uh it was an incredible incredible feeling hey guys we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back in just a minute
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, to get 30, to get 20 20, 20 to get 20 20, to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in 3 years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly 3 years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about 1 minute, lasts for 5 days, and full coverage in up to 1 to 2 coats. Visit oliveandjune.com/perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com/perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so <laughs> delicious. <laughs> I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking 2 to 3 bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as 2 to 3 bottles of water. Right now 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code challenged and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. 
with so many sample packs, new products. It's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. back how do you guys stay committed to a case for so long because as you said i mean paul i think you were referring to you know court sketches that the case started in 1996 how do you continually stay committed and inspired to solve a case for so long you know, for for me, I mean, whether whether it be a Golden State Killer, whether it be NorCal Rapist or other cases in my career, it's it's always in, you know, you're, you're going you're working in spurts. It's so even though I was involved with GSK for over 24 years, it was in where I was in I was heavily involved. And then I had other things I was I was dealing with, and then I would circle back around to it, um, and it, it was a variety of circumstances. Uh, with with GSK, it it most certainly was the the magnitude of the case, and then eventually it got to where I ended up developing personal relationships with some of the victims, and then I was like, I I'm obligated at this point. Okay. With with other cases. Um, you know, there's this one case I desperately want to solve, uh, this 1970 homicide of Cassette Ellison. I've got my binder up above me, you know, and, and for me, it's, it's a personal connection to the victim. I look at Cassette's photograph and she was just the cutest 15 year old girl. And there's just something about her that just captured my heart. And it's like, I got to keep coming back to it. I can't. No, no investigator can stay on a case for two decades straight. But the persistence of the willingness to revisit the case, maybe you go six months, maybe you go a year. With GSK, I probably went years at one point without doing any work on the case. Um, but it's, it's, it's having that th- something that motivates you internally. Uh, and, it, and it typically for me has been that that personal connection. And that personal connection could be victim driven. It could be because of the time I've spent on the case before. Um, you know, and, and I think there's also the, you know what, I don't want to be defeated. You know, there's that aspect. Uh, you know, I, I made a, uh, I, I feel that I can do this. I want to get back on it. I, it was interesting. Um... I actually just reading through your bio, I was like, oh, yeah, J.C. Duggard. I haven't thought of that case in a really, really long time. And um, I was very young when she was kidnapped. And obviously she was kidnapped for a very long time. And just rereading through her case, um, when you have cases that have been solved and you look back on them, you know, when I was rereading through the J.C. Duggard case, it was seeing that there was a section of missed rescue opportunities. Is it hard to look back on a case and see all the dots start to connect and and that kind of frustration? Or, I mean, there's also only, 
it, I understand that there's an element of that it led you to the case being solved at some point. But it just made me wonder that of like recognizing missed opportunities, like do do those kind of stay with you or are those teachable moments for the next case? Well, I think, you know, when when you, you start taking a look at some of these cases and, and JC's case, obviously, is a uh, an interesting case where a young girl abducted out of the Tahoe area and was in, you know, basically her offender, Phil Garrido and Nancy Garrido, the wife, they both were involved in this. Yeah. Um, you know, they're in my jurisdiction for almost 20 years before we knew that JC had been living, you know, in our area. Uh, I know when I initially got involved in that case, there was a lot of controversy about how could this little girl, this abducted girl have been in our midst all this time, us not know it. And knowing that we even had one of the deputies from my department go out to Garrido's house and say, there's, there's nothing here, you know, and then seeing, seeing my sheriff, you know, throw that guy under the bus. And he was a very good deputy, uh, but it just had to do with the circumstances of the property and how he didn't know that the two acres behind the fence line also belonged to Garrido. And that's where JC and, and her kids were being kept that, uh, you know, it, there, there, there's a learning aspect to it. I know for me, like in particular that case, and I spent two weeks on Garrido's property, both for, uh, um, an unsolved series out of the Contra Costa area, as well as two missing girls out of the Alameda County area. Um, it's more of what else has he done? I can take a look at JC's case and go, okay, yeah, there were some, some misses, you know, on parole side or probation or law enforcement side in that. But for me, it's like, I've got this offender, who we know he's abducted a girl. He's fathered two children with his this 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 underage victim. You know, he's raised her on this property and he's had other cases that we know about. Who else has he hurt? And so that's more my focus is I'm now looking, okay, what other cases can be solved now that we know who this offender is, that we know about this offender. Yeah. Like the photographers, like the photographers. Exactly. And that was the first that, you know, after that sort of elation and the surreal nature of GSK, my first thought was make a timeline and figure out where this guy was and what other cases might he uh, be involved in? Because um, it, it's there. There's it, that's the one thing you never, ever sit back and say, ah, that's it. You know, you, you don't even maybe you can have one drink and, and and relish in it, but there's always going to be literally a thousand or more cases that are sitting on your desk. Right. And, you know, we started this talking about why are we as women so obsessed with <laughs> true crime? Um, and, you know, we talked about how it was us wanting to try and fi- solve it, figure it out, fi- make sure we are never in a situation like that. Um I want to make sure we touch on what are some personality traits and some red flags that our listeners can kind of be aware of to make sure that they are never in a situation like that. In a situation around a, uh, like a sociopath or a psychopath or somebody. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, they might be actors. 
Um, as you as you know, <laughs> my other podcast, The First Degree, that's what they because they both dated actors. And they always they always bring that up. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. So um, the uh, you know I think um, I think there's definitely those narcissistic tendencies are are a thing. You know, yeah. uh, and then uh, a lack of empathy. Uh, you know, I think if you go, those are sort of my biggest things uh, when when I uh, look at it and and to take a look at at that. I don't know if you've ever read like uh, the psychopath test or every anything. It's it's interesting how they show that like you know a lot of CEOs and a lot of uh, politicians very well might be because you have to in order to put yourself in those situations, you you can't have. Uh, it's almost a you know you yeah you need empathy in those in those positions, but you need to kind of turn it off because I think you might go crazy, but. If you're just a regular guy or an actor or something along those lines, there's something there if you can identify uh, someone like, you know, a, a Bundy or a uh, or somebody like that that has those narcissistic tendencies. Now, that doesn't mean that there are other people out there. You know, we always look at Bundy because Bundy's the guy that was attractive and successful and educated and charming and say like, wow, anybody could have any girl could have fallen for that guy. Uh, but there are also a lot of serial killers out there, and the majority of serial killers out there are are not like that. They are guys that are uh, picking up sex workers, or, or and and um, you know taking their lives under the cloak of the opioid epidemic. That's one of the things that I'm working on now. Of um, and and it's so it's it's the idea of that sort of Bundy guy that's going to, you know, that's a kind of a one-off too. I think the guy, you know, in terms of like, yeah, Bundy got away with it for so long. Would a guy like Chris Watts have kept going? You know, another guy that when you watch him, um, you can just tell by the body mannerisms uh, that he was lying. Um, you know, watch that video again, the way that he's holding his his hands around his body, like he's trying to make sure that nobody cracks open his secrets. And I think that, uh, you know, identifying those traits and Paul, Paul, you've got some thoughts on this as well, but I think it comes down to nar narcissistic qualities and lack of empathy. Uh, you know, and, and it, it really comes down to, and I, and I would highly recommend, uh, you know, listening to or paying attention to a uh, British profiler by the name of Laura Richards. Uh, she's heavy into the, you know, this um, uh, abusive relationship between men and women and how women ultimately become victims. And one of those aspects that you see over and over again is this coercive control that guys, whether it be in a, in a very early dating type of relationship or in a, an established marriage where the guy is now trying to take control over his his uh, partner um and it could be very subtle or it could be very obvious i mean obvious jealousy obviously flying into a rage if if uh, his wife or girlfriend is talking to another guy uh stalking behaviors you know the, these are red flags that if somebody is doing those during the course, whether it be the beginning of the relationship or even in an established marriage, uh, that those are something that the woman needs to pay attention to, because that is one of those indicators that this person could escalate to violence because of the emotional aspect that they are uh, following. Uh, they don't want 
this this their 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 uh, the, this woman to be talking to somebody else, and uh, you you don't talk to that guy, or I'm going to hurt you. You know, so looking for the coercive control aspect, I think, is huge. You know, and 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 like Billy's saying, when you start getting into the predatory aspect, where now you're starting to escalate to where uh, is this somebody that is going to uh, routinely be hurting women? You know, narcissistic personalities are are definitely there. You know, I when I've talked to like citizens academies, you know, and I'll have the women. Well, how do we you know, what do we do if we're confronted by somebody, you know, and, and it, it's one of those things where it's like, well, you know, I'm not a survivalist. I'm, I'm not one somebody that's going to be talking about, you know, uh, how your, you know, situational awareness. There are experts on that. But what I can tell you is that when you are dealing with somebody that is going to hurt you, you always fight. You always have to fight back. And I've pointed out behind me, you know, Golden State Killer, D'Angelo versus NorCal Rapist, Roy Waller, two very different offenders. When you have somebody like a Roy Waller, who is what I classify as a power reassurance type of rapist, he is somebody that likes to lay next to his victim and stroke her, her, her hair and whisper sweet nothings into her ear. You know, it's like a consensual relationship. He is somebody, if you punch him or you fight back when he's attacking you, he's going to run off. Versus a D'Angelo, this power assertive or anger retaliatory type of offender. He's somebody that's going to amp up on you. You still fight him. But if you run into somebody who's a sexual sadist, you fight him. But if you see him or feel him getting more and more excited because you're fighting him and you're screaming, try the opposite tactic. Try just going limp because this particular type of offender gets off on the fear that he is inflicting and gets more excited the more you fight him. And so there are examples of women who have been attacked by a sexual sadist and they recognize I'm dead and they just go limp. And then that offender just pushes away and walks off because they're not getting wow. what they want. But my, my fundamental thing is, is if you are being physically attacked, you always fight until you realize I'm I'm not going to win this, and this guy seems to be amping up. Then try the optics, the the opposite tactic, and 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 if that doesn't seem to be working, then you re-engage and you fight again. You know, because you just have to, you just have to keep fighting him. I'm just really grateful for that. Thank you. I froze because for a I, second. Yeah, I no, it's fine. I just feel like that is something that's such hugely beneficial information, and I I personally did not know that. So I'm sure there are a lot of people listening that will benefit from having that at some point. So thank you for sharing that. Well, it, it's it's really you know that that's just what the, the general layperson doesn't understand the the the, um, the behaviors of the offenders and the motivations mm -hmm. of the offenders. And it's it, you, 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 you can get into the fine weeds, but, but fundamentally is, is you fight for your life until you recognize that that's not working. Try the opposite. If that doesn't work, then you, you re-engage and you fight for your life. That's, that's what you yeah, can do. Right. I've got a couple of daughters, you know, and, and I've, I've told them, you know, you get somebody who grabs you, 
I mean, you fight for your life. You do not get into their car. I don't care if they've got a gun or a knife, because what's going to happen to you after they get you into the car is going to be far worse than being shot or stabbed right there on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You guys talk about on your podcast, Getting Loud, and um, how citizens can reach out to you with uh, cases that they want solved. And I know you get a lot every day. Like you had said, Billy, you guys get multiple cases. Um, How can they reach out to you if this is something that they truly feel needs to be solved? If it's a loved one or what, how can they reach out to you? What's the best way to do that? The best way to reach out to us is to go to the murder squad.com, but uh, you know, and and send us that information. There's a contact button right there Uh, or, or um, contact us over social media, but really the getting loud is, is it's, we really started it for victims' families. And whenever victims' families, it's just call every day, you know. Um, they stop, you know, it, it, the squeaky wheel does get the grease when it comes to things in, in law enforcement. It really does. And you might think you're being a pain in the ass, but you often have to. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to do that. But really, that's where the where getting lad comes from. And then if it's a case that you really are interested in, uh, either we, we might cover it, we might not cover it. But if you really want to devote yourself to it, you can start a Facebook page for it. You can start trying to gather information that way. Uh, the thing that I always tell people is that this is not for the faint of heart. And this is not a one year commitment. When you're involved in a case and you start talking to family members, you're going to be doing it for the rest of your life. Uh, I I have a, a case, Jennifer Wilmer, who went missing. Uh, 30 years ago, I did the story 20 years ago, and we just did the story again on Murder Squad. There's a picture of her in the original story that I wrote back in 2002 of her holding this this little girl at the beach. 20 years later, that little girl contacts me and says, hey, I'm the little girl in that picture, and she's a grown adult and just got married. You know, I'm still looking for information. Her mother had died. My aunt had died. It was her niece. My aunt had, had passed away. Do you know anything? So it doesn't wow. it doesn't end. It's like, you know, I tell people uh, um, it's a commitment. Like I remember going and adopting a dog at the ASPCA when I was a kid and, and the sign above it said, are you re- are you really ready for this 15 year commitment? And the thing that I tell people, if you really are going to start a, a, some sort of social media campaign for a, uh, a missing person, or, or an unsolved murder, uh, are you really ready for a lifelong commitment? Um, well, I would kick myself. I know, I, we could keep talking to you guys all night. I, we <laughs> I really know. could. And so I'm going to do you guys a favor and, and put like an end to this before I just keep talking your ears off. But I would kick myself if I didn't ask, because my husband and I debate this all the time. But I don't know if you guys are... Um, have read up on or watched the docu-series about the staircase murders with Michael Peterson. Sure. Paul's laughing really hard. Wait, why, why is this a funny Because case? I, I think the owl theory is something to think of. And my husband <laughs> thinks I'm ridiculous for believing in the owl theory, but there were feathers, right? There were feathers. <laughs> Paul, uh, me and or Paul are of the same answer. mind of this, but, uh, Paul, you want to take on the, uh, the owl theory? <laughs> I feel like Chris hates this question. Is my husband going to win this argument? There are questions that come up, but the owl theory is one of them that is... uh, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah okay. <laughs> so to be fair, my husband's going to be so happy. He wins. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, right. And I, I remember uh, I was sitting, I, I was literally sipping bourbon watching, I think, you know, I had the TV on and then there was like this promo for the staircase and I'd never heard of the case before. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it was one of those things where, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I was hearing there was a lot of controversy swirling about what happened in this case. And, 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 you know, is it, is it homicide? Is it, did she, is it an accident? Did she fall down the stairs? And I'm, I'm sitting there for the first time looking at this case and I'm just sipping bourbon and they, they flash up some of the crime scene photos as well as some of the autopsy sketches. And I almost spit my bourbon out because it was so obvious to my eyes as to what happened. And it was like, why is there any controversy about this case at all? Uh, and eventually we ended up doing, I think it was a, uh, uh, it was an episode with Karen and Georgia, uh, you know, about the staircase. And it's, it's one of those things where I know a little bit more about it. You know, I dug a little bit more, more into the physical evidence, the injuries and everything than all the other stuff regarding the, the story behind the case. And there is no question. This is a homicide case. This is as obvious as it gets. And it blows my mind. Number one, that there was even at trial any issues, but number two, that in these, in the, you you know, true crime sphere that this is so controversial. And then when I heard about the damn owl, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Really? And this is why I don't solve crimes. This yeah. is why I am not a good civilian crime solver. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and I think this is, you know, and, and I've seen this happen in some other cases where, what 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 ultimately happens? You, you see uh, snippets of information, whether they hear it or they see it, that the the general public are listening to, but they don't have the experience or expertise to necessarily understand what they're looking at or what they're seeing. And now, boom, you know, it just explodes into something that it's not. And that's where I kind of put the staircase. And and the owl theory to me is, is probably one of the most... Oh, I hate to use this term, Candace. I'm sorry. It's but okay. It's okay. It, My husband's going to be so happy. <laughs> it's, it's one of the most asinine things I've ever heard. <laughs> you, 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 you really, this, this owl caused multiple blunt force lacerations to the I'm back of the Florida. victim's head. <laughs> I'm from it Florida. Animals get crazy. You know, Animals do I get crazy. with alligators. I'm surprised it didn't Weird happen at a convenience store. Yeah. yeah, they do. They do. But an owl didn't do this. An owl didn't cause to fall down the stairs the stairs didn't cause these lacerations the stairs didn't cause all that blood spatter and the and it's it's so okay obvious. i just want to say but, that paul is heavily involved in the owl lobby i just want to say that yeah. <laughs> i love owls I, I, <laughs> so oh good. my gosh so good i love this so much um, i know you know you guys work so tirelessly trying to solve these crimes you had a huge win today if i if we can call it that is there and you've solved a, a case this morning well i don't think we solved it i think we solve. we 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 got loud you know and um, uh, i you know i think it, it was the case of rebecca gould she was found um 
uh, well, she she actually went missing first, but they had found blood uh, inside of a, uh, a mobile home, and she was found on an embankment. And uh, a lot of things were going on in this case. This case had been, has been open for a really, really long time. It seems like it went cold. Uh, we did a two-parter and interviewed a lot of people for it. Uh, Polly, our, our producer, really dug into it. And uh, we talked to a lot of people. And there's been a lot of uh, other podcasts. There's a podcast called Hell and Gone that did it as well. And um, and really set the groundwork. And that's it. It's just like the question is, and this is what happens with, like, and I say that with like Up and Vanished and Tara Grinstead. Uh, if Payne doesn't do that, Payne Lizzie doesn't doesn't do that. Does that case get solved? And I don't think it does. You know, there are certain things where th- that's a matter of getting loud and getting it into the public consciousness. That you know, it's this whole thing with with uh, Michelle writing the book. Uh, go, you know, and, and and Michelle actually passing away and seeing law enforcement be like, you know what, we should probably put some more resources behind this. Uh, That's what happens. And, um, you know, the more that we can get away from the more that we can do these cases that people don't quite know about uh, and get loud with them and and, uh, the better it's going to be for uh, for justice, because law enforcement is going to say, all right, you know what, we've you know, people are really looking at us now. This is a national story and we better we better do something about it. And and luckily that's you know, they pulled the trigger on this one and they made an arrest. That's great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. The murder squad in the house. Thank you guys. Um, obviously, they can. Uh, our listeners can listen to your podcast wherever they listen to their podcasts. Um, but where can they follow you guys personally on social media? Uh, I can be followed at, at Billy Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N, on Instagram and Twitter. I am on TikTok, but only as a uh, only for research purposes because I want to watch have, Billy do a TikTok oh, dance. I have no, I've actually thought of it, and I was just like, well, and there's a way, and we know that our. Uh, you know, uh, is there a way to solve murders with it uh, and that sort of thing? And I still haven't figured it out yet. So if anybody has any ideas, just let me know. <laughs> Your old nickname was the Facebook detective. Now you're the TikTok detective. The TikTok detective. Well, yeah. I, there actually is one for the Alyssa Turner attorney case. But um, but yeah, oh, wow. yeah, do a search for that one. Yeah, yeah. I have a variety of undercover social media accounts that nobody knows about. Uh, but Ooh. I can be, uh, Billy, you probably know my... Uh, um, I, I think it's I, I think it's at Paul Holes on Twitter and Twitter. at Paul dot Holes on Instagram. That, that's right. Th- that those are the two uh, platforms mm-hmm. that I will occasionally post to. I am not a uh, I, I don't do a lot of volume on social media, but uh, you know I am there. So I, I every now and then I'll I'll throw something out there. Well, we've thoroughly enjoyed discussing this with you guys. Thank you for sharing so much um, information with us and joining us today. You're the best. Well, thank you so much for having us. Uh, We really do appreciate it. Candice, do you still feel like you are on Team Owl? (laughs) No, no. But this is why I know that I would make a terrible civilian detective. Mm -hmm. Like I watch CSI and I'm like, the jerk in the room who's like i have no idea who did it like and i know it's its formula (laughs) like i should be able to figure that out um i think what's really important uh to remember that paul and billy did such a good job reiterating is that these are real people you know Mm. these are real families friends loved ones real lives that were lost and i know that i can easily get swept up in just watching 
a series of episodes and unsolved murders and crime docus and get so wrapped up in the storyline that I forget um, the people at the heart of it. And so it was really powerful to hear um, their perspectives on all that and how they balance, you know, the the chase and the and the adrenaline adrenaline of solving the crime while also the deep deep empathy they have for uh the crimes that were committed against these innocent people right and i also really appreciate the tips that they give us and they gave us to help protect ourselves and our friends and and our listeners so um thank you paul and billy for all of your advice and for your tireless work to help get these bad guys off the streets. We're really grateful for all that you do. And if you guys know of a case uh, that you think needs to be solved, make sure you contact them. We have all the information provided in the show notes. And um, thank you for listening to another great episode of Directly Challenged. We have another one coming up next week. We'll see you then. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Katrina Henning. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.